Thank you, Pastor Phil. Good morning, everybody. Really good to be with you today. Uh, lovely to be with Pastor Phil and Michelle and their family. Um, we worked together uh, back in England in 1838 or something. Uh, and uh, it was just great. So great uh, to be here again. Uh, to, I was here three years ago, and uh, thank you for having me back. Also nice to go somewhere where somebody else has the same speech impediment that I have. Um, when I'm in America, Canada, most of the time people understand about 80% of what I say. I, I go through a drive through I never get what I order, ever. Um, but you've been softened up really now by Phil and Michelle, so great to have this opportunity uh, to be with you again. Good morning to, uh, to Creekside, to Willow Creek in Glenmore, Willow, uh, Willow Park, not Willow Creek, Willow Park in uh, Glenmore and Willow Park South as well. And, and good morning to Jasmine. Uh, Jasmine, hi. Hello. Um, everybody, I've only met three or four people who've talked about you, and they all say you're awesome. And uh, so would you give Jasmine a round of applause, please? Thank you for the beauty of what you do. Uh, Pastor Phil kindly mentioned that I've written some books, and it would be wrong, it would be crass, it would be so inappropriate for me to overstate the value of those books. How bad would that be? Uh, but it's the will of God you buy them. So, um, just kidding. But um, I get authors' discounts, so, so do you. Um, and when they're gone, they're gone. I had this book last time I came, Faith in the Fog. Um, it's a, a book, really, that deals with some of the sadness that can come in life. A few years ago, I spent a year in clinical depression. And um, some of you will know what I mean when I tell you that not only did I feel bad, but I felt bad because I felt bad. Anyone make sense of that one? And I had some Christian friends who weren't that helpful. They'd previously been friends with Job, I believe. <laughs> and so it was kind of tough, um, but if you have ever wrestled with depression or anxiety or you know someone who does, uh, that book's available for you. This book, um, I did give a, I need to give a health warning about this book. I know, I think you did a series on Samson. Uh, Samson uh, this incredible guy who completely messed it up, really blessed of God, yet messed things up in his life. Some real life lessons we can learn from him. However, I, I do need to give a health warning because it's Samson and there's Delilah and a couple of other women in his life too. Um, there's quite a lot of blunt talk in here about Jasmine has her hands by her side at the moment. Uh, yeah, quite a lot of blunt talk about sex. I, not snacks, sex. So if you're offended by that, uh, then please don't buy the book. I don't need the emails. Although um, last night a couple of people came up and said, I want that book right now. So um, uh, this book is called There Are No Ordinary People. The Lego movie got it wrong, ladies and gentlemen. Everything isn't awesome. Sorry, even for the Christian, everything isn't awesome. Is it okay to say that? I didn't wake up this morning, do a triple backflip out of bed, catching my tambourine as I flew through the air, landing in my cowboy boots. Everything isn't awesome, but we can live the ordinary life beautifully, and that's what this is about. Bear Grylls, I know you know about Bear Grylls because he's promoting Alpha, which is a wonderful 
way of finding out more about the Christian faith. You've heard of Bear Grylls. Uh, he's done a commendation for the book. I, you say, how do you get a commendation from Bear Grylls? Well, I'm his personal trainer. <laughs> nah, I'm not. So um, anyway, and then finally, it's a dog's life. Nothing to do with dogs. Short, make you laugh, make you cry, make you think um, stuff. And um, um, we've got a special going on. Any three of those books for uh, $40. Those are available for you. I've been visiting your church over the last few weeks. Uh, I've been sneaking in via the internet, listening to this uh, series on real living, being a redeemed people who are empowered and active and listening to God. Uh, I've been sneaking in here because I don't want to just show up here and bring you a a message, but wanted to carefully prepare and try and catch the temperature of where you're at as a church. And I celebrate with you the fact that you don't just want to build up, as it says on your website. You want to build out. You just don't want a big crowd, but you want church that is authentically healthy. You see, it's health of church that matters. You can have a big church that is healthy. You can have a small church that's healthy, particularly in rural areas. You can have a big church that's unhealthy. It's just a crowd. People just show up on Sundays. And you can have a small church that's unhealthy, that for uh, various reasons is not growing. What God is looking for, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, is for healthy disciples and healthy church. So that's what we are going to talk about today. If you've got a Bible... I want you to turn to Acts chapter 11 right now. The words will come up on the screen anyway. You can turn to your Bible. How many of you have got Bibles or it's on your phone or your iPad, you super trendy cool people? Just raise your hand. Okay, quite a few Bibles out there. Acts chapter 11. Let's look together at a healthy church. It's in Antioch. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Ladies and gentlemen, I, um, I spend a lot of my time in church services. Back at Timberline in Colorado, we have eight services every weekend. So last weekend, I preached the same message over and over and over again. The same outline, the same points, the same spontaneous humor throughout the course of the weekend. I, last time I was here at Willow Park, I, I mentioned that I, I've said to Kay, my wife, um, I preach so much, I said to her, I get, I get sick of the sound of my own voice. And she nodded and smiled and said, I understand completely. 
how you feel. I, I spend a lot of time in church services, and so I, I've got a confession to make. I quite like it when things go a bit wrong. You know, like when it, it all the carefully laid plans go a little astray. I know that's quite naughty of me, but I just find it quite entertaining. Um, I would like to have been there at one church I know of where they had a baptismal service, a water baptism. They had the tank at the front, and the pastor wasn't doing the baptizing, but just came out in his nice pastor's suit to give the benediction at the end of the service. And he said, good night, God bless you, see you next week, and then rather gloriously stepped back, fully clothed, into the tank. How many of you would part with cash to see such a thing? You, you just would. Yeah. I, I, I would have loved to have been there when uh, a, a worship leader in, in England, actually, uh, things went a bit wrong for him. He was one of those pushy worship leaders. I, I, I can honestly say to you that I've really enjoyed our, our worship together this morning. I know you expect me to say that, but it really is true because our worship leaders have invited us in rather than pushed us around. You know what I mean? Every now and again, I go to those uh, churches or conferences where the worship leader is aggressive. Everyone raise your hands right now. Everyone clap. Everyone dance. Because we're free in the spirit here. Anyway, this gentleman was being rather pushy, a rather large gentleman. He yelled at the congregation, everyone raise your hands. And as he raised his hands rather wonderfully, his belt buckle exploded. Poof. And his trousers <laughs> fell down all the way to his ankles, revealing a voluminous pair of boxer shorts, apparently manufactured by Mr. Walt Disney. <laughs> because Mickey and Minnie were running all over his pants with their hands raised. It was kind of spooky, quite frankly. As he pulled up his trousers, he leaned into the microphone and rather breathlessly said, it's amazing what the devil will do when you're trying to lead worship. <laughs> Gentlemen, I beg you, check your belts now. I like it when things go a little bit wrong in church. 30 years ago at Timberline Church, everything went right one Sunday morning. A church of about 180 people at the time. A happy family church. Everyone knew each other's names. They were kind of the same type of people, nice people. And Nikki showed up. Nikki, Nikki was a stripper. She was working her way through CSU, Colorado State University, as a brilliant young law student. She didn't have much money, so she was paying her way through college by taking her clothes off for rather stupid, leering men at a local club. Nikki used to get her nails done and her hair done by Larry, who's part of our church, still part of our church. Larry's a hairdresser and an evangelist, a great combination of vocations, because you've got a captive audience and you're armed as well, so it really works rather well. Larry told Nikki about Jesus. She showed up one Sunday morning. You'll get my drift when I tell you she didn't look like a church lady. She wasn't dressed in church lady clothes. She wasn't dressed in very much, to be fair. She came and sat on the front row. At the end of the service, she gave her life to Jesus. That's good news, isn't it? Three days later, 
she called Pastor Darry, our senior pastor, she called him at his home. That was a bit of a shock. He didn't get that many calls from strippers, really. It was a bit alarming. And she said, I became a Christian on, at your church on Sunday. I've read the New Testament. He said, which part? She said, the whole thing. Three days. She said, I don't think Jesus wants me to be a stripper, does he? He said, you'd be right there. There's something much better for you. She said, will he take care of me? I earn my money through taking my clothes off. He says, let's trust God together. She went back to the strip club, which, by the way, was her supportive community, and tearfully told them that she was leaving the strip joint and invited them all to come to her baptism in water. Eighteen, maybe 19 of them showed up for her baptism. They came dressed for work, if you get my drift. The bouncers came with their big donkey jackets with the fluorescent name of the strip joint on the back because they're angry because we took their nicky away from them. And they came down the center aisle. It caused quite a stir. Some of our ladies were seen covering their husband's eyes <laughs> as this group came down. And that night, 11 of them came to Jesus. And now we're really, now we're really messed up. Because we're a nice church. And it wasn't that we were consciously looking for a better class of sinner. <laughs> but suddenly, we had to discover what it meant to be healthy with this wondrous influx of people. 2,000 years ago, in Antioch, a sudden influx of unexpected people showed up the church itself was not anticipated. It didn't come as a result of the mission plans of Jerusalem. It was the Holy Spirit simply doing it. How many know that God has a habit of being God? And he can do what he wants. Antioch was a beautiful town, beautiful city, the, the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Half a million people living there. A main street, four miles long, paved with marble, rich cosmopolitan, occultic. And suddenly, all these Gentiles, these non-Jews, are flooding into the kingdom and flooding into the church. And they had to discover what health looked like. What I want us to do is think about that following their example as we continue to share this next three or four hours together. Just kidding there. Fear not, little flock. <laughs> number one. Number one, if we're going to be healthy, we need to be church that is confident about church. We need to be church that is confident about church. It is church that is formed there. The first great church among the Gentiles. The, third, the first world apostolic mission sending church. It was about church. And I want to make this statement to you, Willa Park. I think we need a rediscovery these days concerning the priority, the significance, the, important, the importance, the privilege of being part of this amazing, wonderful, and occasionally exasperating and irritating thing called church. You see, we're busier than ever. 
They say that the average church attendance in North America these days is one and a half times a month. 30 years ago, we kind of were together three times a week. Whatever happened? And we tend to individualize everything. And we're techno-obsessed. Last night, Kay and I went out in a pursuit of a restaurant to eat, and we found ourselves um, downtown in this restaurant where everybody there was like who was eating was about 12 years old. I'm like, who let them out without parental guidance? And, and what was really interesting is it was watching a table of eight people I need to be careful here because maybe it was you. And they're sitting around the table together, but they're not talking at all. They're all on their phones. They're all taking photographs of their dessert so that they could share that photograph with the watching world. We're like, we're a techno-obsessed, busy, we're a selfie culture. And the danger with that is that we forget the importance of being together. I mean, there's all kinds of dangers with it. One of them is consumerism. We want everything our way. Pastor Phil, we could, we, we could take that seriously here. We could, you could have greeters, and as people come in uh, to the service, they, the greeters could say, uh, welcome uh, to this congregation. You're very welcome here. Would you like to sit in clapping or non-clapping today? You could say, well, I, I've had a bit of a rough week. Can I sit in non-clapping, non-smiling, non-singing, non-listening to the sermon, non-giving in the offering, non-participating in any way whatsoever? Can I sit there, please? I'm very sorry. I'm afraid that section's always very full. I'm afraid we probably can't fit you in. Just kidding. Just kidding. But my point is that in a busy culture where we individualize everything, we can even read the Bible and individualize the Bible. So we read the English word you in the Bible, the second person singular, you, but it's the same word you for the second person plural, you. So I read my Bible, I read you, I think me, instead of us. But God has always been about building his people, community, family, church. Philip Yancey has said, if you want to trace the unending message of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, it, it, it goes like this. God gets his family back. I think we need to rediscover the privilege of that. This, ladies and gentlemen, is nothing less than the reversal of the curse of the Tower of Babel. You say, what's that about? In the early chapters of Genesis, we see the fall of humanity, quickly followed by the first murder Things go downhill until you get to Genesis chapter 11. And a humanistic community where God was banished, they attempt to create it in the building of the Tower of Babel, and there's a scattering. God scatters that whole thing, and there's a confusion of languages. And right there, Genesis chapter 12, God's community project begins with Abraham and his call to go to a land and the unfolding history of Israel. And they were the people of God, and they, they messed it up, and the prophets came and kicked them and nudged them, and it didn't work. And John the Baptist heralds one who is to come. And it's Jesus. And he comes declaring and demonstrating the gospel of the kingdom. He goes to the cross to die, to deal with everything that separates me, you, from him. 
He is raised from the dead on the third day. Wait, he says. In Jerusalem, the power of the Holy Spirit comes. And on the day of Pentecost, it isn't just that power comes, but suddenly as that power envelops those very fragile, ordinary women and men, they begin to speak in tongues. And instead of confusion, now everyone hears the gospel in their own language. The curse of Babel, the confusion of languages, is reversed now as the church, the people of God, is born. Ladies and gentlemen, we're part of that. I think that's pretty good. And what we carry is not just a recruiting message, but it is the core message that every human being needs to hear. A survey was recently taken. They said, what are your favorite sentences that you most love to hear? Predictably, the number one favorite sentence was, I love you. We love to hear that. The second most favorite sentence was, I forgive you. And the third most favorite sentence was, supper's ready. (laughs) Take a snapshot of the survey. I love you. I forgive you. Supper's ready. That's our message. God saying to an orphan humanity, I love you. I forgive you, but don't stop there. Now come on in. Gather around the table of God and be part of his community. That's why I want to make a a rather shocking statement to you. I want you to listen carefully. And Pastor Phil, I apologize for this before I even say it. Please stop attending this church. Stop it. Stop attending this church. I can... See, some of you are looking a little nervous right now. What do I mean? Well, where do we get the idea of attending a family? Ken, I've got two grandkids. We are besotted and obsessed with them, as all grandparents usually are. Recently, Stanley, my older grandson, he said, Granddad, you make me laugh in ways that I don't make me laugh. (laughs) I'm like, I'm paying for your college right now. I don't attend my family. It's part of me. It's in my heart. It's in my gut. I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about them. Don't just attend Willow Park. Let it get in your gut so that this family of God, the preciousness and the privilege of being part of it, is owned. Let's not just attend, let's be grafted in. Secondly, number two here. Secondly, a healthy church, there's everyday confident witness here. Everyday confident witness. Some of the Greeks, they were hearing about Jesus. And what happened here is that there is a scattering because of the persecution in Jerusalem. And two Greek words are used in the text. One is about conversation and one is about proclamation. In other words, with casual chatter and with declared truth, people were coming to Jesus. It's wonderful. It is truly wonderful to be privileged today to witness 
These wonderful people who stood on this platform, giving themselves to a year. I mean, I, I, I stood down here and I thought, does everybody know how rich they are around here? Because you've got that. People letting Jesus do what Jesus frequently does, which is gloriously interrupt. But as we commission them, should we perhaps also remember that it's the task of all of us to share our faith in Christ? Whatever happened to evangelism? When I became a Christian, we were rabid evangelists. You wouldn't want to sit next to me on an airplane. I'd get you. I'd twist every conversation around to Jesus. Hello, Jeff, would you like a cheese sandwich? No, thank you. I have the bread of life. How about you? It's hideous. I had so many fishes on the back of my car, it looked like a mobile aquarium. It was ridiculous. And then the pendulum swung. Because we're all pendulums. We think we're balanced, but we're all in reaction to something. I can remember, Pastor Phil, being in a conference back in England. You might have been there. And the famous quote from St. Francis of Assisi was shared. By all means, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. And everybody thought, great, we haven't got to talk anymore. But Francis of Assisi was famous not only with, for chatting with passing squirrels, but also because he gave everything he had away. When you give everything away, you don't have to say much. But for the rest of us, maybe we need to get our voices back. And I'm not talking about cheesy evangelism, you going into work tomorrow morning if you're blessed with a job and saying, gather round ye unwashed. You may come and touch the hem of my garment, for I have been to Willow Park. We could just get our voices back. One time I was on an airplane with an evangelist. Do not fly with evangelists. It's dangerous. I'm in the middle seat. He's to my left. There's a lady sitting here, and she's nervous about flying. I know this not because it's been revealed to me, but because she's chewing the in-flight magazine. She is snacking on paper. So we, we take off, and she's... And I get a... I get a nudge in the ribs, and he says... He said, the woman next to you is nervous. I said, I know that. She's eating the magazine. She's going to start on the headrest any minute. He said, why don't you pray for us? And I can't pray for her. It's a bit pushy. He said, okay then. Gave me a look. You know that look. We carried on flying. Then we hit a patch of turbulence. The woman screamed. Ah! <laughs> the woman next to you just screamed. I said, I, I know you with the brains of a small reptile. It was in my ear. He said, pray for us. I said, I can't pray for us. It sounds a bit pushy, doesn't it? Like, it sounds like a pickup line. You know, hello. Would you like me to pray for you? I'm very normal. <laughs> we hit another patch of turbulence and she screamed again. Ah! And grabbed my hand and wouldn't let go. Now look, I'm British. We've not been introduced. <laughs> I'm holding her sweaty hand. She's gripping it tight. Oof. The woman next to you is holding your hand. <laughs> no, it's my hand. 
He said, why don't you pray for her? I said, I'm holding her hand. I'm doing my bit. You pray for her. <laughs> so why can't evangelists pray quietly? Huh? Could have just said, Father, we ask you to still the storm and help this. Suddenly we get this, in the name of Jesus! He asked the woman first if we could pray. That was polite. Would you mind if we pray? She said, oh, would you please? And he bellows out this prayer and the whole airplane turns around and looks at me. And I'm like... (laughs) What would it mean? What would it mean to get our voice back? Number three. A mature attitude towards suffering. That's number three. Did you notice that it was persecution that prompted the birth of this church? It was persecution, and not only persecution, but the threat was continuing. You see, Dr. Luke tells us, he tells us that they were first called Christians in Antioch. We look at that and we go, oh, that's nice, isn't it? That's nice. No, it was a term of abuse. History tells us that in Antioch there was a fanatical group of emperor worshippers. They worshipped the emperor Nero and they were known as the Augustianoi, the emperor people. So when the Jesus crowd showed up, they called them the Christianoi, the Jesus crowd. It was meant to be abusive. So persecution was their experience. Threat and abuse came their way daily. But I really want you to see something. Dr. Luke uses a phrase he uses three times in the book of Acts. He says, but the Lord's hand was upon them. Please see this. Please. There's trouble and persecution and difficulty, suffering, and the Lord's hand is upon them. There's no contradiction The struggle doesn't mean desertion. The suffering doesn't mean abandonment. No, the two are mingled together. I think if we're going to be healthy, we need to get that. I don't know much about suffering, and I don't want to know much about it. The worst thing that happened to me, apart from the loss of family members, health-wise, was I got really sick a few years ago. I was in a restaurant in London, and halfway through the meal, I got swine flu. It wasn't on the menu, but I got it. It was free. And swine flu turned into pneumonia, which turned into double pneumonia. I didn't know I had it. I flew back to America, spoke at a conference, got really ill, and then ended up being stranded in Oregon for weeks because I was so sick. And for about two or three days, my doctor thought I was going to die. The medications weren't helping. I put it on Facebook. I put it on Facebook that I was ill. Would people please pray? Many people were helpful, but some weren't. Like the person who came back and said, you're not sick. You just think you're sick. No, I just threw up. I've got evidence. (laughs) I was sick. Faith is not the denial of something. It's not pretending that something isn't the case. Uh, someone else decided that this was all about spiritual warfare. So they, on Facebook, they put, Satan, we rebuke you in Jesus' name, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even know Satan was on Facebook. 
And can you imagine the devil in hell going, ooh, exclamation marks and capital letters on Facebook now, boys. Didn't see that one coming. Someone else said, well, you've not been healed because you haven't got enough faith. Some of you have heard this stuff. Oh, thanks a lot. Now I'm a vomiting unbeliever. Someone else very helpfully said, you've got sin in your life. That's why you haven't been healed. Now I'm a vomiting, unbelieving, naughty person. Someone else said, it's probably because your great, 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 great grandfather did something really dodgy. Thank you, I'll dig him up and slap him. That is really helpful. When we suffer, can we be slow on words and quick on comfort and prayer and not feel the need to say something? The 40 chapters of the book of Job teach us that when you're really in trouble, people will show up and say stupid stuff. And if we are to be healthy, we need to suffer well. Well, the last thing, the last thing I want to say is this. Pastor Phil, I'm pretty sure you probably do that. We preachers, we, we, we all do this, don't we? we? We say to the congregation, and now, in conclusion, we do that to give you hope. <laughs> That's true. So for my first conclusion, <laughs> a healthy church shares outrageous grace without fuss. It shares outrageous grace without fuss. I want to show you something that's so stunning I can hardly believe it. Who's the reason for the persecution that led to the scattering? That would be Saul who became Paul, right? So then after a year, excuse me, after a little time, Barnabas has a a bright idea. He needs a co-pastor. So he goes to Tarsus and who does he get to become co-pastor to the congregation that lost their homes and family members because of that one guy. He gets Saul. Can you imagine that at the church business meeting? Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to someone who, with whom you might be quite familiar. Your co-pastor. Saul. And Dr. Luke doesn't even say, whoa! Awesome! It's like, That's what the church does. We just pass grace around. Willow Park, the different campus and congregational expressions. Can I encourage you to stay together and give each other a break when you irritate each other? You say, how do you know? you've been part of a church for more than six months and nobody in it or nothing about it has irritated you yet, you're probably clinically dead, let's face it. (laughs) We're all broken, see. We're all busted human beings under construction. The Bible describes us as sheep, and sheep aren't that bright. You might go to SeaWorld, you probably might not, but you might go there. You're not likely to go to Sheep World, are you? Their repertoire is a bit limited. How often we get it wrong. Let me, let me share a final story that shows something about the fragility of our human, humanity. 
few years ago, Kay and I decided to have an evening in. She said, stop off on your way home and, and rent a movie. So I went to our local DVD store and I'm looking for a, you know, a nice romantic comedy or something for us to share our evening. And I'm, I'm looking through all of the, uh, the DVDs and I find something and um, suddenly I realized that there's a sticker on the DVD and it says, be kind, rewind. Now, young, young people here, let me just explain this. <laughs> see, I, see I, look, I know this is crazy, but we used to have these things called videos and VCRs. It's like 19th century technology, and you had to rewind things. I know, it's amazing, yeah. And it said, be kind, rewind. And I'm like, you, you can't rewind a DVD. Now, normal people would just let it go, but I'm not normal, so I thought, I'm going to ask the nine-year-old behind the counter, <laughs> what is this about? So I go up to the counter and I said, excuse me, pre-adolescent person, could you please explain to me why it says, be kind, rewind? And he smiled and looked down and he said, I know, sir, it is confusing. He said, the thing is this, we used to be a video store. And when we switched the DVDs, my boss said, we've got a lot of those stickers left over. <laughs> and we don't want to waste them. <laughs> Behold, a parable of the human race. We're stupid. <laughs> we mess it up. We open our mouths before we think. We irritate each other. We offend each other. It's not done our way. So, what? Can we model something in a consumer-fickle culture of tenacity and staying together? Well, as Doug comes back to play the piano uh, last night, I asked Doug to come back to play the piano by calling him Don. <laughs> Everyone say, good morning, Don. Good morning. He came back anyway, which was really nice. I appreciate that about you, Jack. <laughs> Thanks, Doug. I wish I could tell you it all ended happily ever after. But it didn't. Because, you see, sometimes we fall out over major doctrine. And there's method in my madness. Sometimes we forget each other's names. But kindness and generosity is shown in response. I wish I could tell you that it all ended nicely and like John Wayne riding off into the sunset. I tried to use that illustration in America recently and I got my characters messed up. I said, and you know, like John Wayne rides off like the Lone Ranger riding off on Tonto. <laughs> and one said, that wasn't, Tonto wasn't the horse. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas had a fight. Big one. It's not all happy days. 
And in Galatians 2, Saul, Paul, and Barnabas and Peter, they had a fight too. So, so it's, it's not always easy, is it? But my brothers and sisters, we are part of church. Would you stand with me if you're able? Let's stand together. Let's pray. Pray with me if you will. Lord, we thank you today for the privilege of being part of your family. Grant us, we pray, a wider screen view of the privilege of it, particularly when it's a pressure, when we're tempted to isolation, when we're irritated or offended. And even as our heads are bowed, it may be that some of us have fists that are clenched because we're offended or irritated and and today it's time to let it go and maybe realize the privilege again. God, help us. Help us to get our voices back as we thank you for this beautiful pursuit team. May we not just send them, but according to your opportunity, in a sense, go with them in the sharing of our faith. And help us to keep passing grace around when other human beings act human. Finally, we want to pray for those who suffer right now. Can I ask you to open your eyes, everybody, for this part of the prayer? We're still praying. But I want to do something a little different as we conclude today. It may be that right now you're going through a pretty hard time in your life. You're waiting for test results. You're looking for the job. It's suffering is relative, and right now it's, it's hard for you, and you're weary and tired. Here's why I'm going to ask you to respond today. I'm going to ask you to do this quite quickly. You say, you say what we got to do? Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do absolutely nothing. Because the Christian life can be filled with oughts and shoulds and musts and coulds. And it can get a bit exhausting. So if this is a heavy time for you, here's what I'd like to ask you to do. I'd like to ask you to do absolutely nothing but just right where you are, just quietly sit down. Take, take the weight off your feet for a minute while we pray. There's, there's no catch to this. Nothing else you have to do. If it's hard, if it's difficult right now, just go ahead. Just sit down. If you look around, Probably a third of our family gathering here is seated. I want to ask you just to do this. Don't ask them why they're seated. I made that promise, and I'm going to keep it. But if you're near someone who is seated, 
would you just go put your hand on their shoulder? Just go stand with them. Go ahead, do it now. Look around. Make sure no one is seated alone, please. Just go stand with them. Please help with this. If you're seated and no one's come to you yet, would you just wave? Because I want to make sure someone comes. I invite you now just to, as you stand there with your hand on their shoulder, just to breathe a prayer, a blessing, strength, grace. You can say it out loud, you can say it silently, but just breathe a prayer for them. So we thank you for the family of God, Lord. We stand with those who are seated. We offer no slogans or cliches, but we ask for the grace of God, the strength of God, and the peace of God to be theirs. Just continue to whisper your prayers, and then we'll declare our faith in song.